Buenos días. Pepe va a estar traduciendo para mí esta mañana porque no hablo inglés. Entonces, vamos a estar aquí para mucho tiempo hoy. Yo escuché que Kevin está acostumbrado a predicar para como cuatro horas cada domingo, entonces. Entonces, tenemos un plenitud de tiempo. No, I'm just kidding. I'm... I, uh, y'all are looking at me like, oh, no. Now you know how the Guatemalans feel when y'all come down and use the translator to say something to them and they're going, just say it already. No, it's, uh, I might speak Spanish in the middle of this. Uh, I'm having trouble speaking Spanish or speaking English here. I got into the airport in Atlanta, 5 a.m. on last Sunday, and I was like, man, I'm hungry. There's nothing but a little Mexican restaurant open. And so I went to the restaurant in the airport there and ordered a burrito, and she was asking me what I wanted on it. She said, you want, you want potatoes and sausage in it? And I said, see, <laughs> yes, I do. Um, so I may very well switch over to Spanish in the middle of this, but um, but no, it's uh, it's great to be here with you guys this morning and, and to finally meet all of you. Um, it's been a privilege to know to know Wells and to be able to work with Wells Baptist Church. And uh, tell you what, it is it is a treat for us when you guys come and serve in Guatemala. And you know, speaking honestly, there are churches that come and serve with us in Guatemala, and we are so glad when they leave. But you guys are not one of those churches. <laughs> And, no, no, I'm serious. I'm serious because, you know, and Kevin, Kevin, I don't know how many times he hadn't said this. He goes, brother, we're here to serve. We're here to do whatever you need us to do, however you need us to do it, need us to do it, and wherever and whenever, just say, you know, and um, to me, that's a great reflection on your church. We work with a fraction of you guys, but it has been so great to have you guys with us and to work with y'all and have your support. And, and so I'm thrilled this morning to be here with the rest of my family, because that's what we are. We're family, amen? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this morning, our other brothers and sisters in Christ are worshiping God in Guatemala in Spanish. And to me, that's just, that's so cool. That in all over the world, in all kinds of different languages, we gather and we worship a risen Savior, amen? Well, um, so I just wanted to start off by sharing a little bit about our ministry, who we are, what we do. And so we've been in Guatemala, my family and I, we've been in Guatemala for a little over three years. So July 1st was three years for us. And uh, when we came to Guatemala three years ago, we had no clue. We had absolutely no clue what God was going to do. Um, and he has done far and above what we could ever imagine. I went to breakfast with Chris this morning and he was praying and he said, Father, I just pray that you would hide Nate behind the cross. <laughs> and I went, you know, I love that. I love that. I hope nobody sees me this morning. I hope nobody walks out of here going, Nate's awesome. I hope they walk out of here going, man, our God is amazing. Amen? And I, I, I love that, Chris. And I go, God, I just, I love that. I want you to just hide me behind the cross. I don't want anybody looking at me. I just want them seeing you. That's what I want. So I got some pictures I want to, I want to show you a little bit. So the first picture here, not this one. That's just pretty Guatemala. This is me and my family. And uh, 
So the good looking guy with the beard, that's me. And uh, Kevin, don't worry, someday your beard's going to grow up. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is this is uh, this is me and my family. So there with the baby, that's my wife Erin and our youngest Noemi. She's ten months old. And um, above, in between, my wife and I. That's Nancy. She's our oldest. She's nineteen. She's Guatemalan. And then bottom right is Miley, she's six, and then the middle is Sayla, she's four, and Kinley, she's two, and her hair's crazy, and it is a reflection of her. Um, so I, I love my family, it's awesome. I have five girls, so I live in a house with six girls total. <clears throat> yeah, so, so I'm getting to hang out with Chris a little bit. This is great. Talk about guy stuff. Um, so this is my family, and so we've been there for three years, and go to the next one. This is um, the other couple that we work with, this is Brett, and he looks like a terrorist, but it's just because he cut his mustache off. And so this is Brett, his wife Leah, and she's due in about three weeks with their second, another little boy, and I don't remember what the name was, he wanted to name it Melchizedek, I thought he couldn't do that. And then their other little boy, Elijah, so Elijah's, uh, he's about 18, 19 months now. Okay. This is David and Lindsay and their little boy, Jonathan. They just now came to work with us. So we're super excited about them. They've been in Guatemala for six years. And David has been working in a boys' school, doing mentorship and teaching, uh, teaching Bible. And then his wife, Lindsay, she's been doing community development in some of the villages. And so we're super excited. They're going to come on with us. David's going to be working, training pastors with us, and, and uh, they're going to help us out with community development and with teams, so you guys will get to meet them in, in October. Okay? This is Orlando and his wife, Jenny. Jenny is from Minnesota. Orlando's Guatemala, and that's their little girl, Sasha. Um, and she's actually a lot older than that. I keep asking for an updated family photo, and I have yet to get one. So, um, so Orlando works with us, uh, training pastors, and uh, just is a they're a blessing to work with. Really sweet family. Okay? This is John. John is from Peru, and uh, he's a he's a he calls himself a Pentecostal, but he's really more Baptist than he wants to admit. Um, and uh, John John's our resident scholar. This guy's like a genius. He's like a walking library. You can say, John, I need a book on cross cultural church planting, and he'll go, I need a libro. There's a book. Or he say, there's three books. These are the guys that wrote it. Here's when they wrote it. Here's if it was in English or in Spanish first. Here's what I think of the book. Here's a brief synopsis. And it doesn't matter what. This guy's it's just, you go, you make me feel stupid, John. All right. And, uh, and so John works with us, training pastors. He came to Guatemala to work on his master's degree at a seminary in Guatemala. Okay. This is, uh, this is Ramiro. Uh, if, you, if you've been with us in Guatemala, you know Ramiro and his wife, Shirley. And their two little boys, Pablo and Christian. And uh, Ramiro works, he's a church planter, and so he works church, planting churches, pastoring a church, and he works with us training pastors as well. And he looks very serious in the photo, but if you've ever met him, you know that's a lie. Okay, get on the next one. So this is Giovanni and his new wife, Mimi. So when you guys were there last time, they weren't married yet, so they are now married, and they're expecting their first, uh, their first baby. They don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet um, in about, I don't know, seven months or so. So Giovanni works with us translating. He translates 
our notes, he'd translate a book if we need it translated, and then he works with me when I'm teaching. And so I teach in Spanish, but I still use him as my, my dictionary. I go, uh, Giovanni, how do you say that? So, all right, go to the next one. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about what we do in Guatemala because um, we do we work all over Guatemala, not just in Buena Vista where you guys come. And so I want to share a little bit so you guys can have an idea about, about who we are and, and what we do in Guatemala. Um, and so one aspect of what we do in Guatemala is malnutrition. There's a lot of malnutrition, and when you're there, unless you know what you're looking for, you don't really see it. You know, when you think of malnutrition in Africa, you think of the really you know, malnourished, really skinny, the bloated bellies, but you don't see that in Guatemala because they eat tortillas, tons of tortillas. But there is no nutritional value in a tortilla whatsoever. And so they're, even there in Buena Vista, um, there's families that that's all they can afford, so they just eat tortillas. So for a meal, they'll sit down and eat six or seven tortillas, and that's, that's what they eat. There's no vitamins in it. And so um, this is my buddy Melvin. He's from Buena Vista. And I don't know if you can see it very well or not, but Melvin has... Uh, I'll learn not to do that in a minute. Melvin has the white spots on his face, and that is from malnutrition. And so that, you know, at this age in his life, it affects him quite drastically. Um, he's not able to focus. He's not able to think like he should, and his brain is developing. And so um, from him dealing with malnutrition early in life will affect him for the rest of his life. And so you can see the boxes there. We've been able to get this. Um, it's fortified rice. It's got extra vitamins, minerals, protein. And we've been giving it to them there in Buena Vista. And Pastor Florentine and his leaders are distributing that there. And they're seeing a difference. They're weighing the kids. So every two weeks, the families will come and get more rice. And on average, the kids are gaining two to three pounds every two weeks. So it's a huge difference in what we're seeing. And, and after about a month of the rice, the white spots are gone. And so really cool. There's a church, I think it's in North Carolina, that their goal was to feed um, a million and a half kids in Guatemala. And so they paid for and bought the, the rice and shipped it to Guatemala. So we've been able to get our hands on it and we're using it in Buena Vista and several other places as well. It's a huge blessing to be able to do that. And then also there in Buena Vista, when you guys have come you've, and you're going to do it again this time, um, you've brought corn. You pay for corn to be brought in these families. And so that's helping with that as well. And that is, you know, it's meeting a physical need, yes. But at the same time, these kids can go to school without being hungry. They can go to school and actually focus and, and, and concentrate and learn. And if they can get an education, it make all the difference in the world. So part of what we do is malnutrition work. Okay? Go to the next one there. All right, so this is new. So we're, we're getting ready to kick this off now. We have, we've had the blessing of um, a gentleman in Alabama who is, um, put, God put on his heart to provide clean water in Guatemala. And so he has bought two well drilling rigs, and this is actually the project they did in Africa. And so I didn't have any pictures because we haven't started yet. That's next month. And so um, we're going to start drilling wells there in Guatemala, which is a huge need. We've been in a drought for about three years. And so most of the wells in Guatemala were dug by hand. So they're only like maybe 20 feet down, which during the rainy season and when you're getting good rain, it's fine. But after three years of drought, they're all dry. And so there's a lot of need for clean water right now in Guatemala. A lot of the places are having to have water brought in by truck. So um, we're going to start drilling. <clears throat> we're going to start drilling wells in Guatemala next month. We have our, our training. We're hiring a crew, which is the other side of this is we get to provide jobs as well, which is a huge blessing for us um, to be able to do that and provide steady work. And, uh, right now, 
uh, unemployment in Guatemala is, is pretty staggering. And, um, and the crime is through the roof. And, and so anytime that we can provide a uh, job, it's a great blessing for us. So this one, um, community development. So I don't know if you guys knew it or not, but you've been doing community development in Buena Vista. And so we have what we call soft community development and hard community development. And so soft community development is malnutrition work. It's providing corn. It's providing food for these families because it allows them to pay attention in school. Again, soft community development, the stoves. You guys came in and installed stoves in houses the last time you were there. Pastor Florentine and his leaders, they've been continuing installing stoves in the houses. The people are using the stoves, they're loving the stove. But that's soft community development because they'll spend on average 40, four hours a day chopping firewood to be able to cook their food. And so these stoves use about 70% less wood, so that is 70% more time that they have to apply to something else, whether it's going to school, whether it's doing a side job, a little bit of extra work on the side to make a little extra money. That's what they're able to use that time for, or spending time with their family. You know, when we were there, uh, Sean was playing with the kids, and several of the parents said, look, I just I appreciate him so much coming and playing. We don't get a chance to play with the kids. We're working. And so when they receive that stove, they're not breathing smoke. They're able to spend time with their kids. They're able to work. They're able to learn. Um, it's better for their health. They feel better. And so it makes a difference. And then also the school. Um, when you guys were there last time, put a, put a roof on the school, and it is in process right now of receiving the concrete floor and the doors and the windows. We have the we have the desks, and I took a picture of the stack of desks in our warehouse that I forgot to take, I forgot to put it in here. Um, so we have the desks, and when I get back next month, they'll go out there. We'll be able to put those new desks in, and then we're going to do some repair work on the desks they have, and um, and then roofs, and then community development is in here. The bottom, bottom left picture, um, that is in Gracias a Dios. And have you, guys, have you guys seen the building on the left there? Was that there when you guys were there? You guys? Okay. It's all running together. I can't keep it straight. Um, so this is our home church from, from uh, Alabama. And um, they came and did a medical clinic, and, and we're doing some Bible studies here. And, and, I, and I put this in with community development. Um, this, this little building, it doesn't look like much. It's, I don't know, it's maybe 12 feet by 8 feet across. And it's just some laminas that we put up so they can do a church service down there. And they're meeting in there. They've had some community meetings in there. We've done medical clinics in there. We've done community Bible studies in there. But I, I put this picture in here because you can't really see it. But in this picture, the women are over here. And the guys are over here. So the, the guys from the team took the guys and shared. And then the Guatemalan guys got an opportunity to share with the team. And then the ladies did the same thing. And it was just this really cool exchange of the team coming and sharing, hey, this is what God has taught me. This is my testimony. This is what God has done in my life. And then those Guatemalan guys from the community getting an opportunity to share and say, hey, this is what God's teaching me from his word, um, which is community development and that is instilling worth. Because for a lot of these people, they're they're very poor. They live in they live in mud brick houses, and they live in a society that says you have nothing, you are nothing, and you're stupid, and you can't learn anything. Basically, your your function in life is to grow some vegetables. That's it. And so, when someone comes 
from high society, which you guys are high society, and they sit down with these people and they make eye contact and they speak into their lives and say, you have worth and God loves you. And then they receive what the Guatemalan sheriff has been very instilling value in the lives of these people. And these people are going, okay, I do have value. I do have worth. And this person who came all the way from the United States wants to know my opinion. And they want to know what God has been teaching me. And it, it changes something in their heart. And they say, okay, in Christ, I'm more than just a full person living in a shack growing veggies. I'm a child of God. And so that, that is in, that's part of community development. Okay? Um, second thing, or the next, it's not the second thing, but church planting. So that's a church plant that we've done there in, in Gracias a Dios. And then one on the right is a church plant that we're involved with in Guatemala City. Um, I want to share a little bit about the church plant in Buena Vista. Um, Pastor Carlos came to us last month and he said, he said, I need some more training. He's in, he's in the process of receiving our pastoral training right now. And he said, I need some more training, but I need training on Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, okay, so what's going on? Because there's a Jehovah's Witness church there in Gracias he said, well, these Jehovah's Witnesses are coming from the church. So the little shack, the little, the little lean-to there on the, on the left, he said, they're coming. And they're taking notes, and they're bringing their Bibles, and they're asking questions, and I have no clue what they believe. He said, can you all give me some training on like, what they believe? And so that, that little church plant, what you guys are, in, are, are helping with, what Carlos and Pastor Florentine are able to do in this community is reaching these Jehovah's Witnesses. And they're coming to that little church and going, okay, What's the difference? We want to know what's going on. We want to know what you believe. And so, you know, when uh, when we started working out there, if you'd asked me who the last group of people we'd probably reach would be, I'd say it would be the whole Job's Witnesses. Because usually they don't, if, if you can get a leg up on them, they won't talk to you. If they find out you know what you're talking about, they go, oh, you have a nice day, you know? And so I thought, well, we can reach the Catholics or some of the atheists out there, but the Jehovah's Witnesses, that's a, that's a no-go. That's just not happening. But lo and behold, that's who we're reaching. And they're coming, and they're hearing the gospel, and they're taking notes, and they're reading their Bibles, Bibles that you provided for them to read. And I love it. Um, they're getting ready to receive some more Bibles that you guys uh, sent the, the funds for. And so there's children's Bibles, there's adult Bibles, and then when you guys are there in October, you guys are going to share the overarching plan of Scripture, what, what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation, His redemptive plan, and sharing that with these people who received the Bibles and going, this is what you have in your hand. This is the story that you have in your hand. This is how to understand it. When you open it, this is what you're reading. Um, and for a lot of these people, it's the only book they've ever had. Um, it's the only, definitely the only Bible they've ever had. And so you guys are giving them access to God's Word and putting it in their hands and enabling them to know how to use it. Um, also in Buena Vista right now, as a part of our church planting course, they have started doing community Bible studies. So Florentine and his leaders are going out in the community and doing Bible studies in the homes. They've got seven different Bible, seven different groups of these Bible studies in different places, in Gracias a Dios and Buena Vista. And they're meeting once or twice a week to study God's Word with these people and sitting down and opening Scripture. And they're all opening their Bibles together. It's not one guy in the front with a Bible. They were all opening their Bibles together and studying God's Word and hearing the Gospel and lives are being transformed. Lives are being changed. And so, super excited about, about what God is doing out there right now. Okay? And then the next one, pastoral training. And this, for me, this is the most important thing we do. Um, I, uh, 
I'll share a little about myself, a little bit about myself real quick. I grew up in a little town, a little country town in Kentucky and grew up working on the farm and I loved being outside and I hated school. If you give me an option, book or outside, outside, hands down, every single time. I don't want to read a book. I don't want to take piano lessons. I don't want to do it. Just get me outside. I want to go outside. I'm going to chop something down, dig something up, run over something, blow up something, fix something. I don't care. That's where I want to shoot something. I want to be outside. And so I spent all of my time outside and I hated school. Absolutely hated it. And then someday, I, one day I got a whim to go to the community college. I thought, I'm going to go to the community college and I'll get me an, I'll get an automotive degree. It's something that it's super simple. I'm not very smart. And I'll just, I'll go do that. It'll be easy. I wanted it to be easy. So I went and I hated it. I hated every minute of it. The classes, the papers, the tests. And I'm going, this is just awful. And um, God worked in my life. That's the only possible explanation. Um, and I got married and she said, you know what? You really need to go back to school. Back to school. Need to go back to school to do ministry. I know plenty of guys that are doing ministry, never been to school. They went to seminary. Well, my wife, she's more hard headed than I am, which is impressive. And uh, and I said, okay. So I went back to school and I went to this little Baptist college in Florida, got a degree in Christian counseling, and I hated it. I hated every minute of it. And uh, it's like pulling teeth. I just want to work, I want to fix something or build something or be outside. That's what I want to do. And went on staff with the church there in Dothan, Alabama. And my wife said, you know, I think you about going back to school. And I said, I don't want to go back to school. I hate school. You know that. So, again, God worked his miracle in my heart. And I went back to school online. I got a master's degree from John Brown University in pastoral leadership. And if you were to ask any one of my friends that I grew up with, if they ever thought that I would go to college, you'd have said no. Absolutely not. And if you'd have asked them that we would be in Guatemala training pastors, they would have said, they'd just laugh at your face. You go, there's no way Nate Brady could ever do that. And I share that because at that point in my life, years ago, I didn't think it was any possible way that would happen either. Um, but yet God, but God, he has a way of, of calling us to do things that are so far over our heads. I had an opportunity to sit down with a young man the other day who it was like God's calling him into missions, and that was my counsel to him. Don't go where you think you can handle it. Ask God, where is the biggest, furthest, highest mountain you want me to climb that I can't do? And if he calls you to do it, do it. And you'll be so far in over your head, and you'll be on your knees the whole time going, God, please direct me. Show me what you want me to do. Um, and I think a lot of times we do that. We, we limit ourselves. And we say, well, I can't do that. And God's going, that's the point. You need me to be able to do that. You need to lean on me in order to do that. And so, uh, and Nick, you were sharing about that a little bit this morning about going, man, you know, God calls us to do things. And if he calls us to do something, he will equip us to do it. Okay, so pastoral training in Guatemala. So when I went there, when I went to Guatemala, my goal was to work with another ministry and I was going to be supervising their building projects and their community development projects. That was my, that was my goal. That was my plan. It was something that I could handle. Something that I could do. It's in my niche. It's in, you know, I love being outside. I love building. I love, and so I went, this is going to be great. I went to Guatemala and God just slammed the door in my face. And we're going, God, what in the world are you doing? Like, we came here to do this. We don't speak Spanish. We don't know anybody. Like, what are you doing? 
And God began to open our eyes to the need for pastoral training. Uh, in the church in Guatemala, you ask, you ask a pastor, you say, hey, when was the last time you had somebody come to know Christ in your church? The average answer is three to five years. And, and if you ask me, say, in my next follow-up question, it's always, okay, because um, the average pastor is 55 or older most of the time. And so you ask him, and my next question is, okay, so do you have any young men, men or women in your church who are being called to the ministry? And the answer is always no. Been there for three years. I've never had a pastor say yes. So my next question is, do you know of any young people anywhere who are being called to the ministry? And the answer is no. Begin to awaken to the need for pastoral training and going, okay, if there are no young people in the church who are being called in ministry, it's, it's a symptom of a, of a deeper problem. Um, in this church, I hope and I pray that there are young men and women, that there are adults who are being called into ministry, that God is touching their hearts and saying, yes, I'm calling you into full-time ministry. I, my hope and I pray that that is happening in the church. And if it's not, I hope and I pray that it does. Because as the church, that's, that's what we do. That is what we do. We reach the world, and part of reaching the world is producing leaders. So, uh, Brett, the other guy, the guy that looks like a terrorist, came down, and uh, don't tell him I said that. Actually, you can tell him I said that. He had a, he had a Guatemalan a couple weeks ago at church telling me it was like Osama bin Laden, and he said, you know, he said, I think a Guatemalan is about the only person who can get away with, with calling me that. It's like, if you, were, if you were American, I'd punch you in the face. Um, so Brett came down, we met one day at Taco Bell, and I started sharing with him what I was learning about the Guatemalan church. And he said, well, you know, I was here a couple years ago, and I got some pastors, and we could, we could just train these pastors. There was like 10 of them. I said, okay. So, so we'll just meet tomorrow and, and talk about it. So we met the next day, all day, and the next day, all day, and the next day, all day for a week. And by the time we got to the end of the week, we said, okay, God's calling us to train pastors here in Guatemala. And then we made the greatest understatement ever, and we said, I think we can do about 15. 12 to 15 pastors, I think, is about the max we can do. Um, and we're training 180 pastors right now. And, uh, yeah. And, again, we, we made that, we can do 12 to 15, that's what we can do, you know? Not going, okay, God, what can you do? So between here and December, we're going to add more training centers. So by December, Lord willing, we're going to have around 350 pastors in our training centers all over Guatemala and southern Mexico. Um, and, and, you know, and when you look at that, when I look at that, you know, Chris, you said hiding behind the cross. When I look at that, that's all I see is the cross. Because when I look at who I was as a young man, and I look at who I am now, and I look at my abilities, and I go, God, I don't know you could do. I know that's not me. I know there's no way in the world I'd be in Guatemala doing what I'm doing now if it was not for the grace of God. Uh, my mom and I had this conversation the other day, and she was like, I'm just so proud of you. You know, you made all these good choices, and you're doing you're such a leader. And I said, Mom, I can't take credit for that. This is God's grace. She said, yeah, but you made the decisions. I said, yes, I made those decisions under the influence of the Holy Spirit and a transformed, redeemed heart. Like, I can't. We can't take credit for that. All we can do is say, God, you're amazing. You're incredible. So when I share that, when I share that there are three to five, uh, three to five years since the last convert in the church, no young people being called in, usually 
if I'm talk, if I'm saying that to a, a pastor from the United States, a lot of times even a church member, they'll say, oh, we have that. That's, that's the way it is in the States. Um, and then after about a week of, of seeing what we do and working with these pastors, they go, it is nothing like it is in the States. Because the difference is this. Here in the States, a lot of times the pastors have the training. And if they don't have the training, they have access to the training. There in Guatemala, these pastors have no access to the training. Um, they can't afford the training. They don't have time for the training. They can't travel to the training. A lot of these guys would have to travel four and five hours just to go to the seminary. And so when you begin to start teaching these pastors, they're hungry for it. We were out in Buena Vista doing some training with quarantine. I was teaching on discipleship and how it's relational. It's one-on-one. and it's, a, it's you and it's your leaders and it's the people in the church building relationships and doing life with people. Um, and he's just sitting there shaking his head. He's going, okay, are you, are you disagreeing with me? You think I'm crazy? Like, what, what's the shaking? And so I asked him, I said, so you're shaking your head. Do you agree with me or you, you disagree? And he's going, he says, I have no idea. And he turns and looks at his leaders and says, we have so much work to do. And for me, that is, that is the greatest privilege of being a teacher, is knowing that these pastors are hungry. They want this training. We just opened one in Ishiguan San Marcos. This is the, the, the top left. It's a very rural, very, very rural place. It's the highest town in Guatemala. It's at 10,000 feet. Um, and we started training with these pastors about three months ago. And we've got guys driving from three and four hours away and waiting outside of my friend's house, who's the missionary there in town, for him to come out of his gate and going, hey, I'm a pastor. I heard you're doing pastoral training. Is there any way I can come? They're driving three and four hours, catching a bus ride, three and four hours to come and just say, I need training. Is there any way I can be trained? Um, I have a lady, she's six months pregnant. She gets up at 3 a.m. to come to our training room. She you know, and part of it, she walks. Some of it, she's hitching rides. But she's there because they're hungry for it. This is amazing. I sat down with them um, last month and I asked them, I said, so how is the training benefiting you? Is it, is it, is it helping you? Is it benefiting you? And every single person in that room said, you know what? For this training, I read the Bible and I did not understand it. That's an incredible statement. The people who are responsible for pastoring and shepherding God's people. When a pastor's been pastoring for 10 years, he says, I read it, but I didn't understand it. And now I'm beginning to understand it. There's, there's change coming. There's growth coming. There are new converts coming. There are disciples coming. And our goal and our desire is to see Guatemalans sending missionaries all over the world, which is not happening right now. And a lot of that is because of the lack of teaching and training for these pastors. So because there's the lack of training and teaching, there's lots of false doctrine. Prosperity gospel is everywhere. Um, I, uh, I spoke at a family conference in Guatemala City um, about a month ago, and the pastor that got up before me as the president of a very large denomination there in Guatemala. He preached before me, and it was straight. If you honor God in your family, God's going to bless your family. If you honor God in your family, God's going to give you health. If you honor God in your family, God's going to give you a nice little house. And I got up after him, and I said, that doesn't, doesn't work that way. If our goal as believers is to come to God saying, God, I'm going to serve you, now give me stuff. We're not there for him. And if we're not there for him, we don't get it. And if we don't get it, we're burning hell for all the country. God is our greatest treasure. And if he's not our greatest treasure, then he's not our God. So it's, it's such a privilege for us to be able to train these pastors, to be able to teach them how to study their Bible, to be able to give them resources. 
So our training takes about two years. And in those two years, we do nine courses. Basically, it's the same as going to a seminary. We just don't teach Greek and Hebrew. Thank you, Lord. Um, and so we teach these guys. We give them resources. It costs us about $189 to train a pastor for two years. Um, and so God keeps opening doors. Pastors keep coming, saying, look, we need the training. We want the training. Uh, we just opened a training center in southern Mexico. We're getting ready to open another one. And no one, no one's talking about this, but in southern Mexico right now, be praying for them. There's lots of persecution, especially in, Chia, in the states of Chiapas and Juarez. Um, people are getting beaten. They're getting run out of their homes. They're getting their water shut off. They're getting blocked from going to their fields to tend their crops. And some of the pastors have been murdered. Um, and it's all legal. So Mexico has a law where um, it's, it's, it's meant to protect the culture. So, but the law says if anyone is obstructing the practice of culture, a tradition, or anyone is destroying cultural traditions, they can be they can be prosecuted. They can be thrown in jail. They can be in prison. They can be fined. They can be run out of homes. And so, what happens is, is people are coming to Christ, and the next time that Catholic festival rolls around, and it requires them to get drunk, and they say, "Look, sorry guys, I can't, I can't do this. I'm a believer." And they say, "Look, you're destroying our culture. So throw them in jail, run them out of their homes, beat them, kill them." Shut their water off. Don't let the kids go to school. Um, it's serious persecution and no one's talking about it. So it's a privilege. <clears throat> it's a privilege to be able to do this. They're walking through that. They're suffering. You know, here in America, we go, so-and-so at my job doesn't like me because I'm a Christian being persecuted. No, no, not really. I didn't get that promotion. I think it's probably because I'm a Christian. That might be persecution, but you still get to go home to your house. Your water's still there. Nobody's beating you up in the street. Nobody's running your family like that. And it's so humbling to be there with those guys that are doing that, that are shepherding their churches through that. And say, look, I'm going to teach you about scripture. I'm going to teach you how to read your Bible. I'm going to teach you some theology. And it's it's humbling. It's humbling because you have this sense of who am I? Who am I to stand here, you know, with you and try to encourage you and pray for you? But it's an amazing privilege that we get to do if we can and we can. And it's possible for us to do that in ministry because of churches like you, because of churches like you that come alongside of our ministry and and, and support us with finances and with prayer. And coming down to us in the text messages. I love one of those text messages from Chris. And says, hey, bro, how you doing? I miss you. Um, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, we, we appreciate you guys. Um, what we're doing in Guatemala is, is needed. There's a great need there. And the most needed thing that we're doing is pastoral training. Uh, I'll share a couple more aspects of this. Uh, <clears throat> so, there's lots of false teaching in Guatemala, and there's lots of seminaries that are teaching false doctrine in Guatemala. There's a there's a seminary there in our town, and they teach that um, back in back in the day, years ago, that it was not God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Mother. And when Jesus, when God said He was going to send the Son, God the Mother threw a fit and said, "No, you're not doing that with our Son." So God took her body away and split her into two spirits. And one spirit is the Holy Spirit that we have now. And the bad part of her spirit is the spirit that all the people that say apostles and prophecy does not exist anymore. 
Um, and that's the kind of things that are being taught in Guatemala. And so for these guys right here, in Ishiguan San Marcos, some of these guys have never been to school in the day of their life. They never hit preschool, nothing. Um, there was a 36-year 36 36-year 36 civil war in Guatemala. And so for these guys, they were in the middle of it. A lot of the people up there, the men are alcoholics. They've got PTSD from the Civil War. There's an entire generation of people that have, that have been missing because of genocide during that time. They've got a forest, a group of trees right outside of town. They call it the killing forest because it's where the government forces would come in and take people out of their beds at night and force them for information and kill them. And so in that context, no, there was no schools. I talked to one guy and he said, I wanted to go to seminary in the 80s and I couldn't because the military was between me and the nearest seminary. So I just couldn't go. And so for these, for these guys, they've never been to school in a day in their life. But there's some churches in town. One of theirs, um, they're one that's Pentecostals, and they say that um, there is no God the Father, God the Son, and God and uh, God the Spirit. It's only God the Son. And the Trinity does not exist. It's only one God that has revealed himself to us in different ways. It's, it's a heresy. And then there's another group of guys started by a rabbi up there who says that it's great to be a Christian, it's great to be saved by Christ and the sacrifice on the cross, but you need to follow all of the Old Testament law, the dietary, the cleanliness laws, you need to do all that too. Now, for us here, if I were to come to you and I say, okay, you need to go back and start following all the Mosaic law, you'd look at me and go, no, I don't. It's not biblical at all. And if I were to say, okay, um, God the Spirit doesn't exist and God the Father doesn't exist, you go, well, you, you lost your mind. You have education. But these pastors who've never been to school, when a guy comes into town who attended a seminary, when a rabbi comes into town, he's a rabbi, he should know he's the Torah. He studied. And they begin teaching them these false teachings. And they go, really? I know it's true. He's had training. I had training. Surely he's smarter than me. Surely he knows more than me. And so then they come to us and go, is it true? They're teaching this as it proves. There's such a need for training. And it's not just Guatemala. This is a problem worldwide. We recently got invited to northern India. Um, and we don't have the ability to go, but we're considering bringing a couple guys from northern India to train for a year and then send them back to northern India to train pastors. This is, this is, a, this is a problem worldwide. And to me, it's a challenge for the, for the American church. It's a challenge for us. These guys, they have no understanding of scripture, very little understanding of theology, and it's because they have no resources and no access to it. For us as Americans, we have no excuse. We have no excuse. We can buy books. We can get it on Kindle if we want. We can get an audio version if we want to listen to it in the car. We can get online and research something. We have pastors who've been trained in seminaries who are sharp and they know the word, and we can call them and say, hey, what about this? We have no excuse. So I challenge each and every one of you, Knowing your Bible is not for your pastor. Not just for your pastor. Knowing theology is not just for your pastor. It's for you. It's for you. And God has called each and every one of you to know His word, to understand sound doctrine, and not just for yourself, but to go and share it with others. You'll find yourself a young person. Take them under your wing. Start teaching them. Challenge them. Read God's word. Know it. When I, was, when I was in high school, I used to say, we don't need theology. People just fight over theology. It's just stupid. Why don't we just all love Jesus and do what he said? They would do what he told us to do. It's the dumbest thing I ever said. I've said a lot of stupid things. That's the dumbest thing I ever said. 
And I thought I knew God. But then I started studying scripture a little deeper than surface level. I started studying theology and I went, God, you are so much more glorious and incredible than I ever thought you were. And my worship before was here because my God was there. And the more I learn about God and the more I learn how intricate and how powerful and how beautiful and how holy he is, my worship just gets higher and higher and higher. And my obedience gets higher and higher because I go, I am worthy of everything I have. Not just some Sunday attendance, not just I read my Bible. He's worthy of everything I have. So I challenge you. I challenge you. If that's not something that you do, I don't care. I don't care. Do it. Study it. Learn it. It will change your life. So for these pastors, what this training is doing is it is helping them in that moment when someone comes to them and says, look, this is wrong. What you believe is wrong. You need to go back to fulfilling all the Old Testament law, they go, you know what, let me take you over here to Acts and let me, tell, let me show you something. Let me, let me take you to Scripture. Let me show you, this is nothing new. Paul dealt with this and I'm going to show you what he said. Um, and, and they have that confidence. And they don't have that confidence just in, in spiritual matters, just in things within the church. They have that confidence to step up in their communities and say, hey, this is not right. Hey, we need to do this. And so... When you, it goes back into community development. So we're not just developing pastors, we're developing leaders who in turn are developing leaders within their church. Some of you guys know Pastor Jaime. You guys have helped several times. You can just help um, uh, with another need that he had with his daughter's 15th birthday, which is incredible. Um, it, was, it was awesome just to be able to call him and say, hey, brother, I got some good news for you. <laughs> God has met your need. God has met your need. And for him to just go, The, the, the 15th birthday party in Guatemala is more important than the wedding. So just imagine if your daughter was getting married and you said, I got no money for a cake. I got no money for a dress. I don't have money for anything. So we can kind of go out in the yard and somebody can take it. Yeah. And then someone comes along and says, hey, I want to take you that way. I want you to have the wedding you've always wanted. And it's such an encouragement to them. It really is. Um, I, uh, I've got five little girls, and it's turned me into such a sad. I see little girls in the, in the store, and I'm like, oh, and their parents are looking at me like, great first stranger danger. You know? But I love little girls. And his daughter, she's amazing. She's amazing. She knew there wasn't money for, for her 15th birthday that she'd always dreamed of. They dreamed of it their entire life. She knew there wasn't money. She's okay. She's sad. Well, man, I wish we could do this. I wish we had money to do this. But it's okay. We're serving Jesus. He's okay. And then for you guys to come along and say, hey, we'll step up. We'll take care of this. We'll meet this. You encourage that family, and you have given them strength to go on for months. Just doing what God is doing. Now God is faithful. He cares. Amen. So maybe on this end, it doesn't seem like a huge deal. But on that end, it touches so many lives. Jaime, is, uh, he, he went through our training. He's now turned around. He's training uh, about 21 pastors on his own now, on his own initiative. He said, look, I found some pastors. Can I use your classes? I said, absolutely. Come on over to the house. I will load you down with notes and courses and everything you want, brother. He's training pastors. He's training uh, 21 people in his church to go out and plant churches. They're in the process of planting a church right now. 
and it's made possible by this training. I talked to him about a week ago, and I said, Brother, how did the training impact you? He said, changed my life. Changed my life. He said, when I came to your training the first time, I didn't really have a hunger to study that much. I wanted to serve. I didn't really want to study. I didn't really know just how awesome our God is. And now, he's studying, and he's teaching. He said, he, he told me, he said, you would not believe the difference in my church. He said, you would not believe the difference in the families in my church. The lives that are being changed. He said, my church, they're, they're studying scripture together. They meet in people's houses and just study, just study the word. They're going out and they're sharing the gospel on the street. They're going out and making disciples. He said, it's awesome. And he started with some training. It started with some training. They're hungry for it. They want it. They need it. And when they get it, they run. Because they go, this is amazing. We know what we're doing. We know where we're going. I know what God's word says. And you guys make that possible. So for us, when it comes to transforming Guatemala, and that's our goal is to see transformation in Guatemala, this is the key. This is the, this is the point of leverage right here. If we can reach these pastors, we reach their churches. We reach their churches, we reach their communities. We're, if we can train these pastors, we're giving them the confidence they need to step up in their communities and, and run with it and say, look, here's where we're going. Here's what we need to do. Pastor Florentine, there in Buena Vista, he's changed. He's changed here. Before, he would just kind of stand off in the back. They'd be having a community meeting or something. And he would just kind of stand in the back. He's, not, he's a quiet guy. Anyway. He would just kind of stand in the back. He'd do the same thing. Nothing else. He's standing up. He's in the middle of that meeting. He's going, guys, here's what we need to do. Here's why we need to do this. We need to come together to meet this need. The school that got built, that they ran out of money to build, guess who brought that together? We started with some training. It makes a world of difference. So churches like you guys that come in, partner with us, help us meet needs that we can't meet. Help us train these pastors that we can't afford to train. It's huge. It's huge. You know, and, and for you guys, Guatemala may seem like a little little place far away. Buena Vista. You guys are having an impact all over Guatemala. All over Guatemala. Lives are being changed because you guys are faithful to come, and to give, and to pray, and to care, and to love. The impact you're having there is, is huge. And, and I don't have time. I know Kevin normally takes four hours. But um, I won't do that to you today. I'll just take three and a half. It's cool. Um, you're having a huge impact there. And, and, and we love you guys. I, I can't, I don't even know how to express it. We love you guys. It is a privilege to be a partner with you guys that way. And I love being able to be here this morning to share with you some of what God is doing in Guatemala. If I, if I told you everything God was doing right now in our ministry in Guatemala, you'd think I was bragging. It's amazing. Our God, He works. He's moving. Amen? I want to share something real quick. Famous last words, I know. I want to share something. One of the one of the privileges I have in Guatemala, to me the biggest privilege I have in Guatemala is training these pastors. And I love it. It's the greatest thing I've ever done. 
and it's a huge responsibility. But I love it. Guatemalan church is usually 10 to 15 years behind the American church. So it's a huge opportunity because I've been here. I saw what happened over the last 10 to 15 years in the church. I saw what we got right. I've seen what we did wrong. And now I get to go to Guatemala and share with these pastors and say, okay, yes, kind of, we need to, we need to go this way. We need to lead this way, but be careful. Be careful of this pitfall. It's a huge privilege to be able to do that. But one of the things that, one of the, the greatest needs in Guatemala is for people to understand the gospel. And, and that might seem kind of crazy. There's 17,000 churches in Guatemala. And if I were to tell you how many of them were actually preaching the gospel accurately, there might be 20 churches in all of Guatemala preaching the gospel accurately. You can ask, uh, I had a, I sat down with a young man who was interested in dating my daughter a couple months ago. I was, oh, that's so much fun. And, um, and my first question to him is, what is the gospel? He's been in church for eight years. His dad's a worship leader. He's been, he's been attending a Bible study in the pastor's house every Sunday for eight years. And I asked him, so what is the gospel? And he squirmed and he wiggled and he said, I don't know. I said, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe that's just a technical question or you're thrown off by the word. So I said, okay, so all of us need to be saved. How can you be saved? And he squirmed a little bit and he said, honor your father and mother and honor God. That's his understanding of how to be saved. And I looked at him and I said, brother, if you died right now and I had to say if you were going to go to hell or heaven, you'd burn in hell for all eternity with that answer. It's great to honor your father and mother. It's great to honor God, but that's not how you get salvation. And that is all too common all over Guatemala. And the reality is most of the time the sermons sound a lot like homosexuality is a sin, so don't be a homosexual. Lying is a sin, so don't be a liar. Cheating on your wife is a sin, so don't cheat on your wife. Getting a tattoo is a sin, so don't get a tattoo. Cut your hair. Don't listen to that rock music. That's, that's the typical sermon. There's no life in it. It's rules. It's beating people over the head to go, here's how you need to live. If you live this way, ooh, you're in. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. The other side of it is, God wants to bless you. He's got so many blessings for you. All you need to do is have faith. You need to give money. You need to give money to the church. You need to step out in faith. You need to sell the only cow that you have. Give it to the church. God's going to just double your income overnight. You have faith. If, you, if that doesn't happen, you're living in sin. So for us to be able to train these pastors and say, look, let's go through the gospel. Let me show you from Genesis to Revelations the gospel and what God has done and His faithfulness and His grace and His mercy and how absolutely, utterly undeserving we are of it. It's huge. But part of that conversation is value, is idolatry. And so I want to share this this morning. I told Kevin, I told you I wasn't going to preach. I'm going to preach anyway. Um, it's idolatry. What do you value? Because that's the issue in Guatemala. That's the issue in Guatemala. People go to the church, but it's because they value stuff. It's because they value money. It's because they value peace in their home. I had Jehovah's Witnesses one morning come to my door there in Guatemala, and they had their little flyers, and she was trying to explain to me how I could have peace in my home and success in life. And I looked at her and I said, peace in my home and success in life doesn't mean a thing if I don't have peace with God. And she was trying to sell me on peace in my home and success in my life because that's what sells in our culture. That's where the value is. And when we are in Christ, our value should change. I want to go to Philippians. Let's go to Philippians 1. I'll try to do this quick, but I'm not making any promises. 
Let's go to Philippians 1, verse 3. The first part of this I want to share is this is how I feel about you and about your church. Verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. That's what we are. We are family and we are partners in the gospel. We are partners in this business of bringing glory to God and expanding His kingdom. We may live 2,800 and something miles away, but we're partners in the gospel. From the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a work in you, will, a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's something important here when we talk about the gospel. Who began the good work in us? God did. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. God began this good work in us. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Who brings the work to completion? God does. Until, or see, He will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, at the day of Jesus Christ. Who finishes this work? God does. God does. And it, this is the gospel. Many times we think of the gospel and we say, "Well, the gospel is for salvation. It is for salvation, but it's for life, and it's for death." The gospel impacts and and informs every part of our life. God begins the work, He sustains it, He completes it. A lot of times we go, okay, well I was saved by grace and now it's my turn. Now I need to step up and, and live a good life. And Satan's going, yep, that's right, that's right. Get to work. And if we fail, Satan's right there going, you're the biggest loser ever. God hates you. He can't use you. What are you even doing here in church this morning? What are you even doing trying to be a spiritual leader in your home? Guy's hardest thing in the world. Yes, spiritually in your home. And Satan loves to just beat us up and go, man, you're such a pathetic loser. God doesn't love you. And in that moment, the gospel says, oh, he does. He does. He loved me when I was a bigger mess than this. And he loves me now because I'm, as Chris says, because I'm hiding behind the cross. I do not stand here on my own merits. I don't stand here in my own efforts. I don't stand here in my own holiness. Thanks be to God, I don't stand here in my own holiness. I stand here in the holiness of Christ that He bought and purchased on the cross. And every single, every single day I stand in His righteousness and His holiness that He bought and purchased on the cross. And for the believer, the most valuable thing for me, for you, is not stuff. I, I used to listen to, uh, I grew up in Assemblies of God, so we had all kinds of crazy stuff going on in our church. And uh, we'd go to these revivals, and I remember one time the pastor, the evangelist was preaching, and he says, man, when I get to heaven, I hope God's got a red convertible for me, and I'm going to drive that convertible all over the streets of gold. And, you know, he's, he's, he's just fixated on this, on this convertible. And then he says, I'm going to play golf, and it's going to be the best game of golf ever, and it's going to be the most score perfect. And what's your value? What is it that you're excited about heaven the most for? If you're excited about a convertible or a mansion or some gold streets or playing a perfect game of golf or shooting a 350-point buck, whatever it is, I can, I can, you know, I love the deer hunt. If that's what we're excited about going to heaven for, God is not our treasure. The convertible is our treasure. 
When we, th- when we think about heaven, we ought to get so excited and so full of joy. And it shouldn't be because I'm not going to have pain anymore. It shouldn't be because I'm going to have a red convertible or I'm going to get to go hunting or I can fly or run 100 miles an hour or whatever it is that we say is going to be awesome about heaven. God is there. And we get to walk with Him and talk with Him and enjoy Him forever and learn more of Him. You know those moments when you're studying Scripture and the light bulb comes on and you go, oh, Lord God, that is so cool. I never saw that before. And you go, wow, this is amazing. Every time that happened before, I used to, I used to go, oh, I got it now. I got it. I understand it now. And then, and then it would happen again, and I'd go, wow. Oh, that's so awesome. I never saw that before. God's grace is so amazing. It's free. It's everything. But guess what? Our God is infinite. Which means for all of eternity, we just keep peeling back layers and going, Oh, are you kidding me? God, you're amazing. That's going to be the best part about heaven. Who cares about a convertible? We're going to kick it to the side and go, Who left that trash in here? Because our God is there. Amen? And for me, I go, Man, the most, the most incredible part of heaven is I get to serve Him perfectly. I love serving Him now, but oh, it breaks my heart because there's so much sin in it. There's so much selfishness in it. There's so much pride in it. And I go, God, I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to be with you and I'll get to serve you perfectly. And my motives will be perfect. I won't be the whole time going, okay, did I, I won't be, I won't be talking about Him going, oh, I nailed that. I nailed that illustration. Did you see that? No, I'm just, I'm going, are you kidding me? This is who our God is and it's perfect. It's perfect. And the more I learn about it, the more I study theology, the more I study His Word, the more I go, oh, bring it on. I want to be there now. I want to see Him now. I want to talk to Him now. I want to worship Him now. I want to serve Him now. Perfectly. That's going to be the best part about heaven. That's our value. That's our treasure. Not the convertible or the gold streets of the mansion. I'm not, I may not even ever go in my mansion. You know? Let it grow cobwebs. I don't care. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be wherever God's at, which is everywhere. But you know, yo, it's gonna be incredible. Okay. So that was a giant rabbit trail. So God starts it, He sustains it, and He completes it. You're here today. You guys are faithful. I am not here today to extol the greatness of Wales Baptist Church. I'm just going to be honest. I am not here today to say, you guys are incredible. And if I do say you guys are incredible, what I really mean is you guys are incredible because our God is amazing. We are here today. We serve. We give. We live selflessly. We are humble. Not because we're awesome. Not because we're just so good at what we do, but because of Him and because of His Word and because of His Spirit and the new heart that He has placed inside of us. Every bit of the glory is His. We are hidden behind the cross. And I pray that's where we stay. I pray that's where we stay. But the reality of it is we need to do some gut checking too, right? Because I think there's a whole lot of people who think they're in Him that are not. And to be quite honest with you, I can look back at my life and it kind of scares me. It kind of scares me. Because I go, man, I was trying to earn that. 
Man, my standing with God was because I thought I was pretty good. It would be real tempting for me to say, but I'm a model Christian. I'm in Guatemala. I gave up so much. I drive a 20-foot rusty microbus that smokes and runs half the time. The AC doesn't work. You know, I eat lots of tortillas and I have to sit in traffic and there's guys shooting each other outside my house every weekend. And I go, I could, I could, I could look at that and go, I am so awesome. I am such a good Christian. The reality is, no, I'm not. The reality is I'm a lost, busted, broken sinner that God has chosen to redeem and to save and to use for His glory. That's the, that's the most amazing privilege we have. We are hidden behind the cross. I'm going to use that, Chris. I'm just going to keep using it. So, we need to be sure that we are in Him. One of the reasons I love doing what we do is because in Guatemala, I think there's a whole lot of people in those churches. There's a whole lot of pastors that think they're in Him that are not. Because their understanding of the gospel, their understanding of what it means to be a Christian is getting stuff from God, getting blessings from God, being shielded from hardship, being shielded from suffering. They go, man, if that's what you're going after, you're not in Him. You're not in Him. If He is not your greatest treasure, you're not in Him. We have to evaluate and look for idols. I, I was teaching one night on idolatry. And in Guatemala, they think idolatry, they think the Catholics with their statues or um, they have an idol called Mashimon they pray to. Buy it, you buy it a whiskey and give it a smoke and it'll, you, know, you can pray for it to curse somebody or help you. It's pretty crazy. And uh, they think of that. And so I'm explaining that all of us have idolatry. And idolatry is anything that's more important than God to us. And this lady looks at me and she goes, I don't have any idols. And I, said, and I explained again, no, you do have idols. It's anything. No, I don't, I don't have any idols. I don't worship any idols. Okay. So about 15 minutes later, she starts telling me, she's like, I just get so scared and so worried about my kids and, and that they're just going to do something bad. Or, you know, I'm going, that's your idol. That's your idol. If something robs your joy, it's an idol. If there's something in your life that when you don't have it, you have no joy, there's your idol staring you in the face. If you wreck your favorite car, your brand new truck or your car, and you have no joy, it's an idol. Your wife's not happy with you, you have no joy, it's your idol. Your husband is not loving you like he should and you have no joy, it's an idol. I tell you, our God is sufficient for anything. Anything. We kind of grow up in America with this idea that it's okay to just kind of be no, not have joy and just be really beat down and go, oh, you know. No, the reality is, if that's the case, if something has the ability to take my joy to that extent, I don't know my God. He's enough. You look at Paul and Silas, they're beaten, they're thrown in prison, they're in excruciating pain, and what are they doing? singing praises to God. That's joy. And you can have that joy in the midst of that suffering if God is your treasure, if He's everything you want and everything you need. We have to treasure it. So yes, well, I am so thankful for you guys. And I am so thankful for your obedience. And I rejoice in your, your giving. I rejoice in your service. And you know why I rejoice in those things? Because I, I rejoice again that God is behind it. Amen. If you'd ask my friends growing up if I'd be a missionary, they'd say, no way on earth. Because they know me. And I know me. 
And I know the only reason I'm here today is because of God's grace and his work in my life. I can't take credit for any of it. Okay. All right, let's go on in Philippians here. Verse 7, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. That's key. You are partakers of me with grace. You know why Paul's saying that? This is kind of like this is kind of like a compliment with a knife in the back. You know? He's going, You're partakers of me with grace, and it's kind of like saying, You know why you need grace? Because you're a mess. We need grace because we're a mess. We need grace because we're busted. We need grace because there's sin in our lives, because we fail. Paul's saying, I rejoice in you. I feel this way. I feel this affection. I feel this love. I feel this joy about you. Not because you're awesome, but because you're partakers of me with grace. He's going, look, I am busted. I'm messed up. I don't get it right. My attitude's not always good. I don't always let my light shine. I'm not always a picture of the perfect Christian, and you're not either. We're all in this together. We're all under grace. We're all works in progress. We're all here because God brought us here by His grace and His mercy. Paul goes, man, I love you guys. You know why I love you guys? Because you're busted and there's a God behind you who is just amazing. Amen? Verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer, I love this, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul doesn't just say, I hope your love grows more and more. No, he says, I hope your love abounds more and more with knowledge and discernment. It's more in Sunday school we talk about wisdom. You could just put that right here. Paul says, I pray that your love, love for who? For God, for others. I pray that your love in all directions, vertically, horizontally, grows in all wisdom, in all knowledge, in all discernment, so that you know when to apply it and how to apply it. So that you know when to come down like a hammer and you know when to come gently. Because there's times for both. There's times for both. So my prayer for you, Wealth Baptist Church, I am thankful for you. And I do thank God for you with all joy and all of my prayers for your partnership in the gospel. And my prayer is that your love would abound more and more in all discernment and wisdom, your love for God and your love for others. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. What is excellent? You go ahead and study the rest of the book of Philippians. You see Paul's talking about the glory of God. Paul's saying, I pray that your love for God and your love for others grows in all knowledge and discernment so that in every situation you may approve, you may choose, you may know what is excellent, what is the best option. Not on the grounds of going, is this best for me? Is this best for my wallet? Is this best for my kids? But going, God, what is the best for your glory? God, how do I leverage the situation for your glory? Whether it's a trial whether it's a victory, whether it's a decision on whether or not you buy a Ford or a Dodge. Obviously, the glorious thing would be to buy a Dodge, <clears throat> Kevin. But going, God, how do, I, how do I leverage this and use this so that you get the most glory out of this? Amen? 
no matter what it is. God, how do I discipline my child in this moment with all knowledge, wisdom, and discernment so that you get the glory? God, how do I handle this conflict with my spouse? How do I handle this conflict with my boss? How do I handle this attitude in this moment so that you get the maximum amount of glory out of my life? That's what Paul's talking about here. So that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The only way we are pure and blameless is to have the purity and the blamelessness and the holiness of Christ. That's it. I can never do that on my own. I can never get it on my own. Only God can do that. And He purchased it in the cross. And through grace and through faith, He freely, get this, okay? Almighty God comes down from His throne, ruling and reigning to live and to be humiliated and to die. Because you deserve to die. Not just die, but then to go, okay, my perfection, my holiness, every moment of, of that life that He lived here on earth, perfect, it was okay. I've lived the perfect life, now it's yours. You don't have to live the perfect life. I've given you mine. You don't have to be holy. I've given you mine. I have adopted you into my family. You are now my child. And I have given you my heart and my spirit. And I've given you an inheritance. And that ought to blow our minds. I don't deserve it. And you don't deserve it. And it, I'll just go out and just do laps around this church right now. Amen? If we can just sit here and hear that and go, something wrong with us. There is something wrong with us. Because our God is amazing. All right. Verse 11. You may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's my goal for my life. To be filled with the fruit of righteousness. To be holy and blameless. To love with knowledge and discernment to the glory and the praise of God. Amen? This is why I'm in Guatemala. This is why we're in Guatemala meeting needs, humanitarian needs, while we're meeting spiritual needs, while we're training pastors, is this right here. I have written in here. I, I taught this book of Philippians in 2010, and I wrote here, this is why we minister. This is our job description, right here. To be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. We minister in Guatemala for the glory and the praise of God. Kevin ministers here, leading and teaching and pastoring for the glory and the praise of God. You live your life for the glory and the praise of God. Did you know that only happens if He is your greatest treasure? If something else is your greatest treasure, you're not living for the praise and glory of God. If your family is your greatest treasure, you're living for the praise and glory of your family. If money is your greatest treasure, you're living for the praise and glory of your family. If a vehicle or a hobby or a house, if that is your idol, if that is your greatest treasure, you are living for the glory of that thing. And you can tell what somebody's glory is. Listen to what they talk about. I had a friend in high school. We made fun of him. We were in a band together. All he wanted to talk about was Jesus. That's all I want to talk about. We don't want to talk about it. 
Yeah, we go to church. Yeah, we, we do we do a band, which we travel around and play worship music for DNAS. All I want to talk about is Jesus. And we're going, dude, you need to chill a little bit. Can we just talk about four-wheelers or computer games or deer hunting or girls or cars or something? And he just wants to talk about, oh, you wouldn't believe what I read in Scripture at this point. You know, God almost killed me four times when I was when I a young man because I was just living, thought I had it worked out, thought I was a good person. And you know, when God wrecked me, you know the first person I went looking for was? Clayton. He's four years younger than me. And I went back to him and I went, dude, I'm missing something. All you want to talk about is Jesus. Talk to me. And I begin to fall in love with God. If there's any... There is anything more important in your life than God, get rid of it. Put him back in the place where he belongs. He is the greatest treasure. And if you don't feel that and understand that, you don't know him. It's not because he's not. It's because you don't know him. If something can steal your joy, it's not because he's not capable of giving you joy. It's because you don't know him enough. And the more fully that you know Him, the more complete your joy is. And the more complete your joy is, the more you worship Him, and the more you talk about Him, and the more you live for Him, and the more you do those things, the more you love Him. And it just keeps going until you just cannot contain it. And you see, God, I cannot help but sing Your praises. I cannot help but to tell others how glorious You are. And that is my, that is my heart. That is my prayer for you. And that is my heart and that is my prayer for these pastors we train in Guatemala. That is my heart and my prayer for the people in Buena Vista and Gracias a Dios. Is that they just get a picture of who their God is. And they are so full of Him and so full of their understanding of who He, who he is that they just say, it doesn't matter. Our God is awesome. And so yes, we're here today to say this is what we do in Guatemala and it's bigger than anything we ever could have imagined. But here's the cross, and here's me, and it's not me. And yes, we're here to say, thank you, Wells Baptist Church, for all you've done, and for your giving, and for your service, and for your humility. But really, in all of that, we're here this morning to say, how great is our God? Amen? He's so good. I know y'all probably want to go, but I could just stay up here. I could just keep flipping. We just keep looking at passages and saying, this is who our God is. He's amazing. Well, we got like three hours left, right? <laughs> I'll let you do that next week. I'm pretty sure that's probably one of those things that happened maybe one time and you never heard the end of it. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. And, and I, you know, and I rejoice in what you're doing in Guatemala, but the part that gives me the most joy is I know that's not the only place it's happening. It's happening here in Pulaski, Tennessee. And there is a church in Pulaski, Tennessee that is serving God and is loving God, and is growing in Him. Watch the VBS video. Y'all are reaching out. Y'all are proclaiming His excellence, His glory, His worth above all else. Talk about the men's events, the Christian Hunters Association. Talking to Chris, he's talking about starting mentoring some young guys, and I go, y'all are doing it. Y'all are living for His glory because He is your treasure. Because He is in your hearts, because He is everything you have. And I rejoice in you. Because this is not something you guys just do in Guatemala once a year, twice a year. This is something you do every day here in Pulaski, Tennessee. And I, I'm thankful for you guys. And I rejoice at what God has done in your lives. What He's doing in, in my life. Because He's amazing. And one of these days, when we get done, 
we'll all be in heaven together, worshiping together, serving together. And it's going to be awesome. Amen? So, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for your faith, for your service, for your hearts. God is such a great encouragement to us. And I, and I wish... I wish I had words to express that to you. Just what a huge encouragement you guys are to us and to the people in one of these things. I wish I could communicate that. You just have to take my word for it. So, I love you guys and thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to come here this morning and visit with you guys and share with you guys and, and ramble a little bit. Talk about how great our God is. All right, grab your Bibles. He said he wasn't going to do that. You may translate. You may translate for yeah, you. I'll translate for people. Entonces, abre su Biblia. Hey, thank you very much. We are. Uh, it's been a great honor to get to work with them, and uh, I'm telling you, I, it has been. We've learned so much from them, and I'm sure they've learned some from us as well. But it really has been a great team work. I, I feel that way, and I hope y'all feel the same. Um, and I, I'm excited to continue to, to to work with you. And I want you as a church to begin praying because right now all we do is we really focus a lot toward just giving here and there toward specific causes. I would like for I would like for Wales Baptist Church to have missionaries that we support monthly. That this is this is what we do and we support. So I really want you to be praying about that, that, that maybe this would be one that, that God has yoked us up with and we could actually support chosen people and what they're doing on a, on a monthly basis. So I believe that is that's part of our duty. I really do. And uh, so far, as well as Baptist Church, uh, honestly, we don't have that. And uh, it's a good place to start. So it's something for you to really be praying about. Um, you've seen the presentation of, um, of what they're doing. And I'm telling you, he did not do it justice. I'm not putting anything down. He did. He did not do justice to what God is doing in Guatemala. You don't know the half of it. Um, from the time I walked in there, to the time that I walk back into this October, the things that God is doing just in one little bitty part in a village called Buena Vista, they're serving all over Guatemala and in Mexico, and I'm talking about one little bitty part. The drastic changes that have taken place blow my mind. And we can't take any credit for it. We can't. The only thing we do is walk in and God's paving the way. We just kind of follow Him. And so, again, it's an amazing thing what they're doing. This morning, we're fixing to close it in a word of prayer. I want to ask um, uh, Chris Pope and um, Kirby Carpenter um, and uh, G, if y'all would, find something to take up a little offering. Uh, we just want to send Nate on his way. Um, as you said, listen, Nate ain't no rich person. He ain't getting paid big dollars for what they're doing. He's supporting a family of five girls. Um, uh, we're going to support them as a church no matter what, but um, if you just have an extra dollar in your pocket this morning, just something that you can do to support, to send this uh, this family just a blessing. This ain't attached to nothing. They got all kind of needs. 
Well, what he decides to do with this is completely and utterly up to them. Um, if he wants to take this and buy his girls each something from the States to take back home with him or, or whatever he wants to do, I just want to bless him this morning and his family. So um, he didn't ask for this. Um, he's just here to say thank you and to give God praise for what he's doing. But I want to give you the opportunity to, to bless him if you're able to do that this morning. I got just a few announcements that I'm going to have Nick come and do. After these announcements, I'm going to ask Nick to close us in prayer. Nate, if you would, just go ahead and make your way back to the back back here and let people greet you on your way.